blessed with the best. Well, some of, I'm going to start out. Like I said, I'm going to talk a little bit about faith. Surprise. Not a topic that's new to us around here, and it's something we've learned a lot about. But we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to review it. But a lot of times, the, the simplest things that keep us on the right track. And we think that reviewing, and man, I've heard that before, but it's the simple, simple things that keep us foundationally in the right place to receive from the Lord, right? Um, the basics in the Word are not hard to grasp, but I think sometimes we make it hard because we have this idea that studying the Word is getting all perfectly set out and get the Bible out in front of you. And okay, well, Lord, where do you have for me to read in the Word today? And I'm not making light of that. It's good to spend time in the Word. But it's also good to review the Word that you've been given and to sit down and converse with the Lord. It's not always about reading, reading, reading. It's, God, what do you have for me today? When to see what He drops into you. So those things are, those simple things are sometimes foundational. And in keeping with Brother Moore, as I said, we're going to talk about faith a little bit. But I'll give you a good example of how simple things we forget that's just recently happened to me and to the church, I believe. Um, one of the scriptures, if I said this, you'd all be able to say it with me, and you can. And it's the scripture that we learned from the time we were we little things. Before we could talk, we were taught, they were teaching it in Sunday school, and we still uh, remember it now, although I would challenge you that we probably don't read it very often now. And that is John 3.16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you had to look at the screen and you grew up in church, you need to memorize that scripture again. Because <laughs> it's something that we hear all the time. And yet, just a few weeks ago, how many of you got to hear Brother James Robison come in? It was good. It was very good. And I enjoyed very much listening to, about his ministry, what he's doing in the world, the things that, he's, uh, that his ministry has accomplished and what God has called him to do. He has an amazing ministry and an amazing call on his life. But as I talked to people in Branson, and, and, and here some, but I was in Branson at the time for, I've been in Branson a lot lately, in case you hadn't noticed. I've been gone, so don't act like, don't, don't be surprised. But I, I was there, and so I talked to people. And the one thing out of the whole service that kept coming up was God loves me. And I, re- I don't know if it happened here. I can't speak to that. But in Branson, I was sitting in the very back. And when he said, God sent me here tonight to tell you that God loves you, it rolled through the sanctuary from the front to the back. It was a tangible feeling uh, of an anointing that rolled through there. And that is simple. Is that not basic, simple Christianity 101, God loves me. But I looked around in the back and people were sitting there, people of faith, people I've gone to church with for 12 years plus, 15. They had tears in their eyes and some of them had tears rolling down their cheeks because the hearing that God loved them ministered to them. He could have quit after that and been been there and had the message come across. It was good. It was powerful. God loved him. You might have thought, well, that's pretty basic and simple, but he, you know why he reminds us of that is because sheep forget things. And we're sheep. All of us are learning under the shepherd, amen? But we're sheep and we forget things. And so that simple fact, we, we sing about it. We know the song. We could, I'm not going to sing it because it's not my grace. And there's others that can carry the tune and keep the beat better. But we know Jesus loves me, amen? We could sing that song. And sometimes I still sing it. 47 years old, sing it in the car. Of course, I work with children, so you've got to give me a little bit of credit, a little bit of leeway for that. But we know the songs. We know these things to be true, but we forget the simplicity of them. Amen? So 
Um, but we forget if, if God doesn't, if we don't understand the truth that God loves me, nothing about this book is relevant. Nothing. If he doesn't love us, if John 3.16 isn't true and you don't receive that by faith, that it's true, then this is just a good history book and some good stories of things that happened in history, but none of it can apply to you. And none of it would apply to us if God didn't love us. So it's a basic thing that is a tenet of our faith. It's one of the core things that we have to know, right? So as we were, as we were talking about these things recently, we've been working on the children's building in Branson. It's coming, and it's really, really good. You guys have had a little glimpse of it, but there's even better stuff coming. But anyway, we've been spending a lot of time on that, and we've been endeavoring to put detail in and to, to make it not just another pretty classroom and a fun place with bright colors and good toys and all that. We want those things. We want the kids to have fun, but we want environments where the word flows easily into their little spirits where the word comes out and goes in and they leave there knowing not just the basics that God loves them, but the truth about faith and how to walk in faith and all of those things. And, but how many of you have been involved in a construction project? Rob should raise both hands and two feet. He's in the middle of several at the moment with the church. But if you've been in the middle of a construction project, what starts happening towards the end? Anybody know? You get tired. You reach a point of thinking, do we really have to do that? And we did a lot of upfront planning and details that we, you know, really made, we believed were right. But what happens at the end is for not just budgetary things, but you just get tired and you just reach a point of really wanting to get it done. And if Mrs. Moore were sitting there, she would tell you that a few weeks ago, Tom was at a place where it just needed to get done. It needed to get done right now. Everything needed to happen right away. I was tired of the children's project, but thank God for Mrs. Moore and others that encouraged me that what we're doing matters and got me back in faith about it instead of being in flesh and trying to get it done and cut corners. But, and, you know, that doesn't happen very often, but it's been a long project. And I've been away from home. And it's, and it's an honor to get to do those things, but I still have flesh too. I know. Yeah, it's still there, just like you. It's still in there. But as, it, as we were lurking on this project, um, Brother Keith had the opportunity to go through a couple weeks ago, I guess. And Dave, Dave and I walked through, and I was telling him details. You go over things. And, and we had, there was a specific uh, thing that he picked up on that I didn't tell him about, about, about why we had chosen these particular words. We're word people, right? So we don't just slap scriptures up on walls so that it's fun and pretty and it's nice scripture. We want the words to be things that matter and that bring a reaction from the children that they're learning or or growing in. And so as we were talking to him at the very end, um, he made, he was talking about how impressionable children are and how as they're young, uh, their, their little spirits are open and they'll, they'll receive things so much easier than we do. Jesus talked about that, but They'll receive these things. And what we're doing is creating moments that will settle into their spirits that they'll remember for a lifetime. They'll remember that God loved them. They'll remember something that happened in the submarine room that was cool because the room was interesting to them, but what happened in that room touched their life forever. They remember it because of one thing, but what happened there is something else entirely because that dropped into their spirit. And these details, and it became, it, it really ministered to me because... The details matter. And in life, the simple things, the simple words on the wall of a stairwell that say, prospered and blessed, in Him I am joyful, in Him I am prospered, in Him I am forgiven, in Him I am redeemed, those words matter. 
not just because they're pretty and because they add to the decor, but because they're things children see as they walk out of there and they're going to settle into their spirits and make a difference. Well, this got me thinking about my own experience, my own life. And uh, I'll share a little bit with you. And if it's just too much for you, it's okay. I don't have that interesting of a life. I have good things that God has done, but I haven't had a lot of, thank God, I have a pretty normal life in many respects. But my parents divorced when I was very young. And I was a little boy that had mom had been home, mom had to go to work. And so in, in, uh, in, in the changes in our life, I became a kid about 10 that was from the time school was out until evening started. I was pretty much by myself. Now, I had a, I have an older sister who was starting her teenage years, and she really didn't have any interest in her 10-year-old little brother. I know I don't understand that because I was an awesome 10-year-old little brother. <laughs> but she really didn't have that much interest, so I was, I was alone a lot. And I found, and I mean this in the most respectful uh, way, I don't mean it to be disrespectful to the Lord at all, but God and I talked. We became kind of buddies I was a little 10-year-old kid that talked to God, and I still talk to God in the car, and so you drive by, and I do audibly do it. He doesn't audibly answer, but I do audibly speak to him sometimes. So if you see me talking in the car, just assume I'm on the phone and give me a little grace. But even as a little kid, I would walk home, and I would talk to the Lord, and I would ride my bike, and I would talk to the Lord. And I don't, I'm not saying that because I wasn't a lonely child. I had friends. I did have friends too. But on those rides coming back and forth, he became my friend. As a little child, I knew nothing about God. I'm not presenting myself as a scholar. I was not a 10-year-old Bible scholar. I was not teaching in the temple. I was, but I was seeking the Lord. I was talking to the Lord. And so even though I didn't have a great foundation in many ways in this, I was getting fed in my spirit from the Lord. And the things that he dropped into my spirit were pretty exciting sometimes. And I'll give you an example. We did not have a lot of money. Um, I won't say, Brother Moore says they were under the barrel, right? We weren't under the barrel. But if there was, a, if there was poor and there was a couple of rungs above that, that's kind of where we were. I never had, never suffered for its clothes to wear or food to eat. It wasn't that. But there wasn't a lot of extra. We didn't have a lot of extra. And in, in the eyes of people around us, we were poor. We lived in a little house in an old part of town, and we were poor. But I knew inside of this little 10-year-old kid that I was not poor. And I, I had nobody telling me I wasn't poor. As a matter of fact, I had people around me saying, you're poor, you can't, you can't have that, you're not going to have that. And I remember as a child clenching my fists, not in anger, but in almost obstinance, I guess. And probably some, some staff has seen me do this anyway. And, but it was like, I am not poor. And it came up from inside of me for no reason other than I knew something about God. And I knew no matter what my circumstance was. I had no idea. I didn't call it faith. I didn't know it was faith. But I knew that I was not poor. And I knew that God had more for me than the poor kid on the block on Dorothy Street in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And I reacted that way. But you couldn't have convinced me otherwise. I couldn't have explained it. I couldn't give you scripture for it. But you couldn't have convinced me otherwise. So it was that childlike faith that allowed God to minister to me. There was, my spirit was open. And because I was open and I would talk to him, I never heard him speak back to me. Don't make it weird. I, would, I never spoke back to me, but he spoke to me. He spoke, Brother, Moore, Brother Moore says all the time, not audibly, but distinctly inside of me, I heard his voice and I heard things from him. And that's one of many things that I believe shaped my life. I was not in a faith church. 
but God was getting faith to me because I was open to a relationship with him. Amen? So that's the childlike faith. Jesus talked about that, about coming to him like a child, about having that childlike faith because he knew that about children. And he wants us to be that way. You don't have to be 10 years old to have childlike faith. You just have to kind of put away the cares of the world because as we grow up, we get hardened to things. We have life experience, we call it. And that taints what we're hearing and what we're receiving. But it doesn't have to. Because if you'll open your spirit and let the, let, let, yeah, speak spirit to spirit to the Lord, He'll talk to you and He'll get you past those things. So I do all that to say, that was the introduction to say, don't, don't get upset with the rookie for the simplicity of what's going to happen tonight. Because we're going to talk about some simple things about faith, but I think it's so important and so foundational to what we believe. Amen? I'm, I'm skipping pages. Man, maybe I didn't need all these. God is good. He helps us, right? So we throw the word faith around a lot in our circles. We sing about having faith in God. We talk about faith. We talk about operating and walking in faith. But I would challenge us that having that head knowledge of faith is not the same as actively walking in faith. It's good to hear stories. It's good to read scriptures. It's good to sing songs. I like Have Faith in God and all those good songs that we do. Our worship team does a great job. But don't they? Yes. But, and that encourages us and it builds us up. But it's not the same as applying those principles in our life. And hearing about your faith encourages me, but I have to act on my faith for my faith to be built. Right? I can be encouraged by you, but there's action required on my part. So a good example of faith as a foundation is the building that we're standing in. I'm not a contractor, so Rob, feel free to yell out if I say something that's wrong. But before this building was here, there was a lot of land and a lot of sand, I imagine, in Florida. And But before anything could happen, before any of these walls went up, before any roof could go up, we had to build a foundation, right? We didn't build it. I know the building was here. But a foundation had to be established. And for a long time, if you've ever been around, we've watched grocery stores and building around here, and there's a lot of dirt that gets moved, and you think, what are they building? Are they accomplishing anything this week? It doesn't seem like anything changed since last week. But they're getting ready. They're building that foundation. They're getting the site level. They're getting the, the footers dug. Is that a right word? Okay, Uh, they're getting everything established so that when they pour that foundation, it's solid. And when they start putting the walls up and the steel beams come in, we don't have cracks and settling right away that show us that half of the building is going to separate from this half of the building. We don't want that to happen, right? But we have to have the time then to build that foundation. And so that is why we talk about faith as much as we do, because it's foundational to everything that we do. And and we're going to talk through it, but... Number one, it's foundational in two steps for me. One, it's foundational in coming to know God because salvation is your first step of faith. It's the first step of faith that we take as a Christian, right? I have to believe that he did it, that Jesus came, John 3, 16, God so loved us that he gave for us, for me, for my sin, and that he bore our sorrows and, and our grief and, our, and took, took, our stri- took stripes for our healing and, and forgiveness of sin and that he rose again. I have to have faith to do that. I can't go out on YouTube and put in Jesus' crucifixion and get a real-time video of what happened. And the media, I don't know if we would even be true if we could. So let me just put it that. I'll throw that out there. But the point is, there's not newsreels of Jesus. There's not newsreels that he was here. There's, there's evidence, of course, but I'm accepting by faith that he did that. 
because his word says that I did it. So that's the first step of faith. And then the second is experiencing everything that God has for us from salvation on also requires faith. So everything that we do requires faith, right? Amen? Brother Morris spent weeks talking to us about faith recently, years really, if you've been around very long. And, and now most of you probably assume that I grew up around faith circles, and I've already told you I didn't. Amy and her family, um, from a young age anyway, she was around Word of Faith ministers and pre- they went, they'd went everywhere to meetings. And she had a good foundation in that. And I had a good um, denominational background, a good traditional church background, but I really wasn't around Word of Faith until I got out of high school. But I had a really, I love my grandparents. Aren't you thankful for good grandparents? But my grandmother, which is what we call my great-grandparents, grandmother and granddad, on my dad's side, I was particularly close to my grandparents on, on my dad's side. And my grandmother was a, I'm trying to remember, she was a charter member in her church. They started the church, it was like 90 years she was in the same church, almost her entire life, 80 years. Uh, she lived well into her, into her 90s. But she had a little secret that if, she, if it had gotten out at the time, she would have been kicked out of the church. This is true, especially back then. But my grandmother loved Oral Roberts. She loved Oral Roberts. And I would go up. My dad worked in Oklahoma City, and, and he would sometimes drop me off at her house so I'd have a weekend there or a night there. And we would watch Oral Roberts. And we'd also go, we'd do all kinds of things. We'd go, does anybody remember TGNY? Did they have those? Yeah, <laughs> we're aging ourselves. A TGNY was like a variety store. And we would, uh, we would go to the variety store and I would convince her. Now, my sister was older and not with us, by the way. And I would convince her that my sister also wanted, more than anything on earth, a Mighty Men and Monster Maker. <laughs> Did anybody remember those? You could like make these, you could scrape the charcoal or whatever over these pictures. So I would, she was, she loved me and I loved her. But I'm so thankful that she was a praying woman and that she believed God for her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren and her kids. But she loved Oral Roberts. And so we would also watch Oral Roberts. But I was told I couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> you can't tell anybody we're watching Oral Roberts. But she read from a book called, I think it was Daily a uh, guide to miracles or something. It was like a daily thing that you would read and expect a miracle and, and the singing and all that. That was all planted in my little spirit from a time I was very young. And I didn't know a lot about it. But even though I wasn't growing up around faith, God was getting faith in my little heart and it was setting me up for things to come. Amen? So it's a good thing. It was a very good thing. Um, So I'm finding that as I receive this rich word that Brother Moore has been given to us, and I'm so thankful for the teaching that we get here week after week. But I'll be honest, I have to process it a little bit because I understand it. It's not because I don't believe it to be true. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes you hear something, and even though you believe it to be true, there's some. you have to kind of get it settled. You have to go over and ponder it a little bit and put it, and you know, as Brother Moore says, sometimes you put it on the shelf for a little while until you're ready to get it. And receive it. But I'm finding with faith I've had to do that a little bit. But I believe for me that is because I don't necessarily have that strong foundation yet. So I needed to go back and visit some of these basic things. And go back and say, you know what, I know this, but I need to know it. I know it, but I need to know it. I have to get it, I can know it up here and have a full understanding, but I have to get it settled down here. And so that's what we're doing. There's two foundational scriptures that come to mind to me. We're going to get to faith. We're talking a little bit about it already. 
There are two foundational scriptures that come to mind for me when we talk about faith, and you're going to know what they are, but they're as fundamental as John 3.16. And we're going to go to our faith chapter, um, which is Hebrews 11. Yes, good faith life students. Very good. And all of those of you that brought your Bibles, I want you to look for these tonight. We tell the children that. Don't, you know, we've become very reliant on smartphones and big screens. And I'd, I, would, I would not want to do a Bible drill sometimes with adults. You know what those are? Does anybody remember those? Where you call out a scripture and somebody has to stand up as soon as they find it in their Bible. I would venture to guess there's a handful of people that would win all the time in this room. And some of us would be like, I know where that is. I know where that is. I know where that is. <laughs> I'm sure nobody still starts at the back and flips to the front, right? But the point is, use your Bibles. It's a good thing because you can't highlight and circle on your cell phone. And you can't highlight and circle on the big screen. And I'm thankful for our screen people. It helps us big time because those letters are nice and big when you're going to read something. Amen. <laughs> but you don't, have to re- you don't need to just rely on that. You need to go in the Word sometimes and write these things down and write, write things in your margins so that you can go back and revisit them when you're pondering all these faith basics, right? So Hebrews 11.1, 1, we're going to go to that verse first. In the King James, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In Young's literal, it says, And faith is, th- and faith is of things hoped for a confidence, of matters not seen a conviction. And then the Living Bible says, What is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. Hope and faith are tied together here. And so before we go further, I do want to look at this verse a little bit and define a couple of things, just basic things. Faith. I looked this up, and I think it's, there was a couple of interesting things that I found. So faith is, the belief, is a belief that is not based on proof. It's something we don't have the proof for, but we believe. So, and it's solid or unshakable belief in something, especially without proof or evidence. And then this one actually had a parenthesis that said Christian. And it says, trust in God and in his actions and promises, which I thought was really good too. Faith begins, as we already said, when we accept and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that the Father uh, gave him willingly for our sins. He did that. This is the first step that we take. Amen? So substance is real physical matter. This, this pulpit has substance. It has weight to it. I don't know, my grandpa used to say that a lot. He'd pick something up and he goes, that has some substance to it. Pick up his tools. He had an old level that I now have. That has some substance to it. And it, it meant that it had weight. It meant that he, could, he liked that. It was weighty. It, it had felt like it was sturdy and strong. So it had substance to him. And then hope, which I think is often misunderstood, um, because there's hope like, oh, I hope uh, little girls in the, in the 12-year-old class, I hope so-and-so, that little boy is here this morning. I hope he's here. That's not hope. That's wishful thinking. I hope this happens. I hope that happens. Well, hope, hope is, um, is, is defined as grounds for believing that something good may happen. Faith is not a vague hope that God exists. It is a firm belief that he does and that his word is true. Hope is not wishing or willing something to happen. As believers, we know that hope is in itself, from the word, a solid proof. Go to Hebrews 6.18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. I like the way the New Living, uh, which is a paraphrase, says, um, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have a great confidence or hope as we hold to the hope that lies before us. We have confident hope because we have the promises of God and God cannot lie. His word, can, it also it says in, in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man. I like this. Well, I'll read this one first. In, in King James, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? I like NIV because it really puts a human edge to it. God is not human that he should lie. In other words, men are lie. Every one of us in here has lied and have the capacity to lie. He doesn't. That's what that's saying. Not as a human being that he could change his mind. I could change my mind on something. We, Rob and I might talk about something with, with a building project, and I, could, I can be persuaded from one thing to another. God doesn't change his mind about what he says. I said it. It's, it's, it's kind of great because you kind of know that it's not going to change. His directions don't change. His, his, his word does not change. So... And then um, the second part of this small of this powerful verse is hope. Faith in action is believing that the word of God is true and that the promises in his word are for me. It is not believing that he can. It is believing that he will. Hope says he can. Faith says he will. And then if you look at that verse, substance, faith is the substance of hope. Faith takes hope and makes it real and tangible. Faith says it isn't what it, it isn't just something he can do. It's something he said he would do, and it's something he's doing for me now. Amen? That's very important to understand. Faith takes hope and brings it to pass. We have hope in the promises found in God's worth. Our faith stakes the hope of his promise and says that those promises are real and we have them. So hope, faith equals the substance of hope. Faith pulls hope. It's the leg that pulls hope to reality. And says it's not just an out there thing that we can wish for or that we think God has said. It's something he will do. It's real. It's actionable. God's promises are not just on a shelf somewhere and say, oh, this is this promise and this is this promise. But don't touch them. Those were not for today. This word is for today. Every bit of it is relevant today. And, there, and faith says that's mine. That healing is mine. That, pro- that provision is mine. I can walk in all of those promises today. Amen? It's good. So to me, this simple verse comes down to a massive truth. It is through faith that we believe and receive all that God has for us, from salvation to living in the promises that God gave to us. Isn't that good? Faith, that faith it is through faith that we believe and receive all that God has for us, from salvation, which is the first step of faith we ever take, to receiving everything he has for us and all of his promises. The second verse I want to look at in Hebrews, and then we're going to get into some specific points about faith, is Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, this is King James, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the first half of that verse is saying, without faith it's impossible to please God. So it's telling us that faith is not optional in our lives. It's not, we will not please God if we do not walk in faith. It's not me. That's the scripture. Isn't that what it says? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
And jump to Ephesians 2.8 real quick, for it says, and that says in King James, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So the first half of that verse is telling us that without faith it's impossible to please him, that we must first believe that he is. The first act is to believe and receive. The second is to have a relationship with him, and how we receive his promises is to diligently seek him. So for faith to be the substance of hope, and to pull those promises into reality, we have to seek Him. We have to diligently seek Him because He's a rewarder, back to Hebrews 11.6, He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Amen? And as an added bonus of those rewards, we, we, we just don't seek Him because we want to receive. He's looking for people to reward because they're seeking Him. He's looking, if you're a seeker, God's looking for you. God has something for you. He's seeking you out because you're going after him. You're diligently seeking him. So to recap that section, faith in our lives begins at the moment that we accept, accept and receive the Lord and salvation. The most import, that's the most important step of faith in my mind that we'll ever make in our lives. The rest of it's good, but the most important thing is that you find the faith to, to, to become the son of God, to become a child of God. Amen. The second step is walking by faith, as we've established, and we're going to talk about putting action to our faith. Hope says he can. Faith says he will. Amen? So now I'm going to go on to some faith requirements, and that's what the title actually for tonight is faith requirements. And I struggled with that a little bit because I thought requirements sounds harsh. And we live in a society that says, don't require anything of me. That there can't be requirements. I mean, it's nice if you want me to do something, but you can't require me to do that. And the reality of it is, you can be saved and never walk in the promises that God has for you. You can, you can take that first step of faith, and I'm saved, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe what he did for me is true, but I never go any further with God. Now, you won't have the things that God has for you on this earth, but you can, that's a possibility. So in a reality, it's not a requirement unless you accept it as a requirement. So that's why I stuck with the word. Because we can choose by choosing to action, by choosing to diligently seek him, we subject ourselves to certain requirements. Does that make sense? That doesn't seem as harsh that way, right? I don't want anybody offended. All right. So the first um, of these faith requirements that I, can, that I have written down, and I'm, I, I want to be real clear, I'm not trying to cover everything there is in faith. These are basic things that I've learned and that I've pulled out of the last few months of, of, of faith sermons that we've been hearing such, such good things on. But this is how I'm applying them. And so for each of these, I'm sure you would have different applications, and that's okay. But I put, the first one I had was faith requires diligent investment. We do not simply have faith. Faith does not simply happen in our lives. I think that a lot of people think of it as a, you know, as a Disney version of there's a potion that you do and it poof and you love them and poof this happens and poof your life is perfect and you're not a toad anymore, you're a prince and poof, all these pumpkins become carriages. It's been a long time. My kids are much, much older now. But, but we look at faith that way. We think, oh, I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe. I'm singing the song. I believe, I believe, I believe. But we don't. We haven't found that and we haven't diligently sought the Lord's matter, the Lord on the matter, right? So faith does not just happen. It's, intelli- it's, in, it's a, it's a uh, what do I call it, a diligent investment. 
It's something we are diligent about. We're going to have to apply ourselves. And what came to, came to mind on that was um, an athlete. There are people, how many have heard the expression, oh, he's a born athlete? He's got the physique for it. Um, we've got some in our church, I know, some young men that are, that, have been, that are born to be football players and born to be basketball players and all those things. Well, you can be born with that gift, but, you, but they'll have to practice. They'll have to develop the skill. They're going to have to work out. They're going to have to... I have muscles. You just can't see them because I don't work out. I don't take care of myself the way I should. The Lord's working with me, okay? You don't have to. It's a, let him do his perfect work. Don't send me letters about improving your health. It's okay because the Lord has good things in store for Tom and he's working with me on them. But we all have muscles. They're there. We wouldn't be able to move without muscles and tendons. But why are some bigger than others? Because they're worked on. They've applied themselves to that. They're building and working those muscles and the reaction of working them is getting bigger and stronger and being able to do more. It's the same with skills. Now, a lot of you don't know this about me and forget it as soon as I say it, but I... Uh, all the way through college, I had studio piano. I play the piano. I am not a naturally gifted pianist. I developed some skills, but and I, as as such, I should never have taken piano in college. When you get to college, music is serious. Have anybody anybody have college level music? They're not fun. I mean, it wasn't fun, and I tortured myself for four years. And more tragically, I tortured my piano teacher. Because when I applied myself and I practiced and went to my practice times and went to the practice rooms and did my scales and learned everything that I was supposed to learn for that week, that hour went like that. I went in there and we played and he taught and it was amazing. But unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes there were more, more interesting things to do than practice. And so, so I was eating dinner or something with friends instead of practicing. And I would go in there and had, have you ever experienced how long an hour can be? when someone is just sitting watching you and you know all they're thinking is, why am I here? Why am I investing in this person? (laughs) But the point is, if I applied myself, I was good. If I didn't apply myself, I wasn't so good. Don't ask me to play today because I don't practice much. I still do it for therapeutic purposes. It's a good thing, Amy would tell you. Sometimes I go and sit down and play the piano, but it's not something I'm doing in public, God willing. You should pray about that because you would have to listen to it if I did. All right. But the point is you have to develop those skills. And, I'm, and I would say I'm not a naturally gifted musician, but you can develop those things. I, can, I learned to play. And I believe if I applied myself today, I could be really good again. But you have to develop that skill. You have to diligently invest in developing those skills. Faith is exactly the same way. It's a muscle in, in a spiritual sense. That if you develop it, it works really good. And if you don't, it gets weak. It's exactly the same thing, right? So, so faith is going to require daily action, daily commitment, daily focus. And I put it, the faith life is one of purposeful intention. It's a choice that you're going to have to make. And you're going to have to purpose that this is what I'm doing no matter what. It's like starting an exercise regimen. At some point, you have to realize and make purpose, I'm going to get up every morning and do this, whether my flesh wants to or not. And you know what? How many of you have ever done that? Never mind. Don't raise your hands. I've done that. And when I get into it, it becomes really easy over time. It's not hard to exercise. It's hard to make your, put down your flesh and get out and do it and get up and do it. But what happens over time as you do it? 
it becomes easier. You start missing it. I know. You start missing running or you start missing working out because you've, it's become accustomed. It's part of your lifestyle now. So you have to diligently intend to do that. Okay, and then faith. <laughs> and then faith requires receiving before sight. Mark 11:24. Therefore I say to you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. We've heard that verse a thousand times. But there's a difference between agreeing that God's word and his promises are true and operating in faith, believing that God's promises and his words are true, right? But, and I have been reading a little bit in uh, Brother Hagen talking about his ailment when he was young. And he specifically called out head faith versus hard faith. And he said, head faith says, I believe that God heals, but for whatever reason, I'm not healed. Heart faith says, if God's word says it's so, then it's mine. I have it now. Heart faith says, I have it even though I can't see it. One is a passive thought. The other is an act of faith. Right? And he goes on to talk about... um, uh, he, his body, he was not, uh, he didn't believe that he was, that God believed that he, he, he saw the scripture and believed that God could heal him. He believed that. But his body did not become strong and then he got out of bed. He didn't see those muscles in his legs develop and then he acted. God said, well, people, get up and get ready. And if I'm recalling, correct me if I'm wrong, the story with if he was pulling himself up by the bedpost because his legs didn't hold him initially. But he was going to get out of that bed. And he talked about as he worked and as he went back to work, that's when the strength came. The strength came after. The sight came after. He received that healing laying in that bed, listening to the word or reading the word of God and taking it in. But that was not when he was... The healing was not manifested then. He acted on what he saw and then the sight came. Then the healing came. So we have to put, we have to switch that around in our minds. We receive and then we see. It's countered our thinking, but it's, but it's the truth. It's, we walk by faith and not by sight. Another thing is faith requires considering nothing but the word of God. Faith is not looking for answers from the natural. It is seeking out what God's word says about your situation. Faith finds the word and stands firmly on the word, not wavering from what we, by what we see or feel or know up here in the natural. And I've thought about this as when people call in here at the church for prayer requests, we'll often say, Where, what's your scripture? What are you believing for? And oftentimes the phone is just silent because they don't really have scripture for it. And you know, one of the great thing about the teaching that we have is if I'm not willing to find that word to stand on, I'm not going to stand on it. If I'm not willing to go out and say, this is, my, this is the, what I'm seeing in my body, this is what God's word says about my body, and we'll say a lot of times, you know what? Find your scripture and call me back. Yeah. And that, does that seem harsh? Probably to some people. But you know what? It's helping people. Because they're going to go find a scripture. And you know what? I believe a lot of times they don't need to call back because they get it. Oh, this is what God's word says about this. They have to know that for themselves. I can, we can give them scriptures. We can quote scriptures all day long. But if they don't invest in the word, if they don't invest in believing that this word is true, we can pray all day long. But there's no faith in that prayer. 
Amen? So we have to consider nothing but the Word of God. Romans 4, uh, 17 through 21 talks about the Abraham kind of faith, which Abraham stood on the Word. Because in the natural, nothing that God said to him looked like it could happen. So let's read this together. Uh, verse 17, as it is written, I have, this is King James, I have made thee, Abraham, a father of many nations, before him whom he, whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, was spoken so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither did yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving God, glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able to perform. This is not um, how faith. This is I know faith. Abraham his body, you know, it says of dead, it's talking about body functions are not no longer working. And he knows that. And he knows Sarah's way past her, her bearing years. But he didn't say to God, I don't see how any of this can happen, God. It says right here, he considered not his own body. That's not an easy thing to do. When your body is screaming because it's in pain and you're standing on the word that I'm healed, I am whole. I am free from this, and your body hurts. It's hard not to consider your body, amen? But what you have to do in those times, what faith requires is that we go to this. Where's your scripture? What's the word? What's the promise that you're standing on? Because that's all you have to look at. You know, when when life gets hard and things are difficult, your vision needs to go from all this periphery to this. And that's what this is talking about. I'm not considering what's happening over here. I don't care what I see over here. That's not what God promised me. It's almost what myopic. You get very focused on one thing. This is all I'm looking at. Because if I look at everything else, I will not be able to operate in faith. I have to get that closed up to what does the word say. And that is, that is considering nothing else. It doesn't matter what, what, your, what your spouse says. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. If it's counter to the word of God, you need to do this. La, 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 la. Like a child. And it'll annoy everybody around you too, which is great. But you, but you get the point. You've got faith requires considering nothing but the word of God. And then also, faith requires action. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Um, There's going to be an action required to your faith. And as I was looking and thinking about this, I started thinking about the many miracles in the Bible. There's, there's Old Testament miracles that happen. There's New Testament miracles that happen. But a common denominator in those miracles is that there was action required of some kind. Sometimes it was a physical thing they had to go do. Sometimes it was just stepping out in their faith. We've, Brother Morse talked about several of these over the last few months. The widow woman, she had to gather those pots. Now, she could have said, this is silly and ridiculous, and whatever pots I have in the house, we'll have to do. And the pots in the house would have been filled, and she wouldn't have been prospered and blessed the way God had intended for her to be. Did she get a little? Probably she would have. He'd have filled the pots that she had. 
But she had to, by an action of faith, go out and gather those pots. And as Brother Moore said, I'm sure she wished she had gathered more pots. Gone and gone to strangers and said, listen, we'll work this out. Give me your pots. You know, but she had, there was an action required. Naaman, when he was healed, leprosy, right? What did, what did God require of him? What, would, what did the prophet tell him? He didn't say, poof, here's my Disney solution to this. He said, he said, go dip seven times in a filthy, disgusting river. Now, we know he struggled with that, but he did it. And he was healed. There was an action required. There was still faith involved. At some point, he said, this is what the prophet said. It must be true. I'm going to do this. And as a result, he was healed. And then the woman with the issue of blood is a good example. Jesus didn't turn to her and say, go do this, 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 and this. What did he say? Your faith has made you whole. But she knew in her heart, if she could get to him, if she could touch that garment, that's action. It wasn't sitting on the sidelines saying, seeing him would be enough. And if he'll just call me out and lay hands on me, she knew in her heart, if I get to him and I touch that garment, I will be healed. I believe that. And she turned to him. She said, he said, woman, your faith has made you whole. But there was action to that faith. Amen. Also, faith will require, and this is one that I've kind of come to to realize that it's more true even than what I thought it was, and, and you'll see why. But faith is, I said, faith requires choosing and choosing and choosing. And my subtitle was, faith requires being as stubborn as a bulldog. I don't have a bulldog, but I've heard that expression. I think they must be kind of stubborn when they decide they're going to be, or maybe as a donkey, I don't know. But when I, had a young, when I was a younger Christian, I had an illusion that faith was easy, and that as soon as I made that choice, and faith is easy, God does not make this process hard for us. But the reality of it is that the instantaneous miracles are not the norm. You're going to get your faith, you're going to get your word, and you're going to stand. And tomorrow morning, you may get up and your body hurts. And you have to choose again to stand. And the next morning, and the next morning, and the next morning, and the temptation is to give up. But faith is going to require that you choose and choose and choose. It's that diligent, it's that determination that you grab hold of that promise and you're not letting go. You know, they, the, the world expression is you get a death grip on it. It ain't coming off. I'm not letting go of this. And that's a choice you have to make over and over again. And I think we don't talk about that a lot in faith circles. I think we want to, we want to make it sound like, um, oh, I don't have any issues I prayed about that. I've given it to the Lord. I don't even think about it. And the reality of it is you're going to have to choose and choose and choose again. And depending on what it is, there's things that maybe you have an addiction to something and it's a every 10 minute addiction and every 10 minutes you're going to have to choose. And if we didn't have to choose and maybe you're thinking, well, I don't think that's true. Well, let's look at the scripture. James 4, 7 Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, resist is, an, uh, is withstanding. It's combating. Uh, synonyms are combating, withstanding, weather, endure. If we weren't going to have to resist the devil, it doesn't say just cast him away. It says resist. Resistance involves, involves some kind of planting and pulling. Think about the resistance in a, in a tug of war between kids. There's resistance coming back and forth. 
Well, the devil doesn't let go easily. He knows what symptoms, what addictions, what, what, uh, what thoughts are going to keep you from being focused on the right things. And that's what he's going to hang on to. He's going to keep poking at that. And every time he pokes, you have a choice to make. And, and over time, as we resist, we have a promise right there. He will flee. He'll give up when he can't keep getting with the one thing. And he'll go try and find something else. Don't open those doors. Close the door. But we have a promise that he'll flee, but you're going to have to resist. You're going to have to choose, and you're going to have to choose, and you're going to have to choose. And Brother Moore talked about this a lot with addictions. Remember him talking about the, I think it was a cigarette guy that smoked cigarettes, and he just shared this a few weeks ago again. And he was talking about he'd given up everything. He'd tried everything. He said, please don't ask me to throw them away. I, I've done that. I, I just can't quit smoking. Well, he changed his, got him to change his words. But he also went on to tell him, every time you, you light that up and you take a draw, what do you say? I don't need this. I am free from this. And, and over the course of time, what happened? He resisted every time he smoked. He was picking up, now in the natural, he's picking up a cigarette and smoking. He's going outside and hiding whatever he was doing, smoking. But over time, what happened? He was resisting. Now the head says you can't smoke and resist. But he had faith. He was applying faith to that. He was choosing and choosing and choosing and choosing. And the next time he saw him, what happened? He was free. He was free. It was done. It was finished. Isn't that good? But, but we're going to have to stand. You have to choose and choose and choose. And when all else fails, keep choosing. Because this is either true or it isn't. Choo, true, choose, choose, choose. Okay, last. Um, is that the last one, I think? No cheering. Faith requires fellowship. How do we learn or hear from God? You spend time with Him. Mrs. Moore was just talking about this a few weeks ago with TV and the things that we let interrupt ourselves, our, our, our time with God. We really don't, we, it's not so much that we don't have time, it's that we don't make time. We let other things fill that time instead of making it a priority. Time is fellowship, time resting and learning from the Father. How do we develop natural relationships? We spend time with them. Most of us have friends, uh, have good friends. Well, how did you get to know them? You spend time with them. You have dinner, you talk, you, you share, you talk, you talk about God, you talk about faith, you talk about the kids. You get to know that person on a personal level. We would say those are, those are intimate relationships. You talk. You're really, that you know that person. You don't know just what they want you to know. You know them. You've spent enough time with them that you see. Do they walk out what they're talking? Do they really believe what they say they believe? Because you see their actions. And you know, guess what? You go to dinner with people long enough, you're going to see if they believe what they believe, what they're saying. How do they treat people? You get to know them, right? Well, um, you've got to spend time with the Lord to get to know Him. Reading, just reading this will give you glimpses into the character and knowledge of God, but you need to spend time with Him. Just like that little 10-year-old boy, I didn't know. I, at the, honestly, at the time, I didn't even think it was unusual that I was spending time with God. He was my friend, and he told me stuff. And I, and I didn't think that was strange at all because I was a child. Now, if, you, if I was starting now, I, somebody came up to me and said, you know, I'm 50, and I'm my best friend. and I'm ton it, Doesn't that strike you as a little odd? But it didn't strike me as odd at all. And now I'm able to do it because that's my life. And I would like to say I've walked with God that way for 47 years. That would not be true. 
I'd be in a much different place. I mean, I, and I'm in a pretty good place. God has blessed us. Has, I, think, I think we're blessed to be here. Amen? But I, I think, where would I be if I had stayed in that close relationship with God? And so, but that's a good goal. I yearn to be back there. But, but I had someone talking to me one time about a church situation, and this is years ago, so don't think you know anything about it because you don't. But they were telling me um, in a conversation, this, and this, is, uh, this is how God instructed me to do something, and they were going through it. And I said, I wrote it down, no, that's not right. God doesn't work that way. And it upset me the minute that I said it to them. It, 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 it troubled me. I shouldn't say it upset me. It troubled me. Because number one, I don't want to hurt people. And number two, I'm thinking in my natural, I'm thinking, how do you, who are you to presume that God didn't tell them that? So this went on and on. And I didn't, you know, it was fine. And, and, but, it, but it was something that was unsettled in my spirit. And so finally, after mulling this over for what I believe was weeks, I thought, you know, I'm going to ask the Lord about it. Now, why that didn't happen weeks earlier, I don't know. I've learned a lot since then. You know, don't wait to ask the Lord about something. If something's bothering you, he's not trying to hide answers from you. He wants us to get better. He wants us to learn. Well, in the conversation with, in, in talking to the Lord, I just asked him about it. And you know what? He didn't say, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. He didn't say, wait a little bit and I'll talk to you. Almost immediately it dropped into my spirit. It's because you know my character and what they were saying about God. Now, I'm not justifying that I said it, and, but I will only say to you that it didn't come up from up here, as Janet says sometimes, that didn't, come from up, that didn't come from here, it came from up here. Well, it didn't come from up here. It came from down here and it came out almost as, a, as an explosion. I don't know how else to describe it. It, it came up and out. Because I knew that what they were characterizing and what they were saying about God could not be true. Because I know how God operates. And I know that God doesn't take you from this place where you're important and vital and instantaneously pull you out of that and leave a hole in a ministry. Or leave a hole in your job. I mean, it's, it's the same in life. It's not just ministry. I know how God works. I know that what they said, whether they believed it to be true or not, is almost irrelevant. I know God, just as sure as I know. You could come to me and say, Dave did this. And I would say, no, he didn't. There are things that I know about Dave. Dave loves people. Does anybody question that? He loves people. When he talks about love, you can see it all over him. So when someone comes up and says something bad about Dave, I know immediately that's not, that's not something's misunderstood here because that's not Dave. Now, as a person... Even, as no matter how well I know my best friend or your spouse, as a person, go back to that scripture, we're humans. Dave might have had a moment where he snapped at somebody. But because I know his character, I know that's not what he meant. Right? God doesn't do that. God's character doesn't change. He didn't have a bad moment where he said, oh, it's okay to leave them in the lurch. He didn't do that. Because his character doesn't change. And so as you get to know him and we get to know him, we understand faith better because we know how God operates. Amen? We know what he's doing. We know how he operates. We know the way that he ministers. We know his word. We understand these promises and we understand how to apply this word in faith to get to where we need to be. Amen? 
So it's going to require some fellowship in order to get to where you need to be with the Lord and to get into the faith life. Um, I write I write some things down here, and I really am. Most of these, I'm actually stacking things up. See, look, three pages. I'm down to the end. Say glory to God. Um, it's okay. But I, 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 something I've done most of my life, I'm not really a writer at, at all in any respect of it, but from the time I was young, there were just things that the Lord would tell me. And most of these things, uh, I don't even know if Amy's ever seen some of them, but it's things, oftentimes it would come at a point in my life where direction was changing, um, something major was happening in life. I was going to college. I was struggling with where to go. And, and these things that I would converse with the Lord, I would spend time with the Lord, I would fellowship with the Lord, and he would, he would give me direction, just as clear as a bell. And I would write these things down. And I encourage you to do that when the Lord is ministering to you and talking to you, not because you have to share them with everybody, but because it's good to go back and look at those sometimes because those are promises from his word applied to you. And it encourages you. And it builds you up. So write some things down. But if it's okay, I'm gonna, I want to share something that happened just a few weeks ago because it's about this resting and fellowshipping with the Lord. Is that all right? Um, and I always write kind of in a, I don't know. I'm, don't, don't listen to how it's written. Listen to the content. Amen. Rest is not something that comes naturally to me. I like to be moving, doing, planting, planning, always on to the next meeting or project. And we're never short of projects around here. Have you noticed? There's always something to go on to. There's always some event coming up. And I like that a lot. But as I've grown older, and I hope a little wiser, I'm finding that all the noise of liking to be busy is really just a collection of reasons to escape rest and fellowship with the Lord. It's not so much that I don't have time to rest. It's that I don't take the time or make the time to rest. Rest to me is getting quiet somewhere, not simply a great afternoon nap or a good deep hard sleep after a long day, all of which are good, but rest to me is getting quiet away from all the distractions and being alone with myself and the Lord. And when I get quiet, I know I'm going to hear from the Lord. He's going to give me direction, show me some things to come, and even provide me with some much-needed correction. I know that's a shock that I need correction from time to time, but, but it's good. So I've come to realize how hard the enemy works to keep the clatter around me so loud and my days so packed that I don't seek that precious time with the Lord. I've, become increase, I've also become increasingly aware of his tactic of using condemnation to keep me from that rest. That peaceful, encouraging, faith-building, restoring time with the Lord is something that that old devil does not want to happen. So he endeavors to make that restful time uncomfortable. As a result, I find myself stressed, tired, sick, and looking everywhere for an answer except for the place where the only real answers come from. Resting and hearing from the Lord and his word. This morning I got up and hit the ground running. Some plans fell through and so I thought, you know, I'm going to make myself a pot of coffee, grab some design magazines, sit out on the deck and just relax in this beautiful weather. And so I did. I enjoyed my coffee and I put some music on. And I, those are, yes, they're earthly, fleshly things, but it's okay to relax and have your coffee and listen to some music from time to time. I'm not sure exactly when I finished my coffee or when the music shut off, but I found myself outside with a gentle breeze, beautiful sunshine, surrounded by peace and quiet, and rest came. Time with the Lord. is so sweet. No distractions, no condemnation, just the open arms of a loving Father bringing restoration, solid direction, and peace. 
We are designed to rest in him, not to carry our own burdens. He's a big, big God, and all of our burdens to him are so light. To him, our big problems, as Brother Moore said, are so very, very small. When we just make that place to rest, truly rest, he says, come here, sit with me a while. I've got some things for you. And as I rest, he lovingly speaks, and I listen. And I find that I am restored and renewed and truly at rest with him. Faith requires fellowship with the Lord. And how you do it may be different. Maybe you don't want to sit outside. Maybe you're more comfortable in your living room in the air conditioning. That's okay. But you have to find that time. And you have to realize that the distractions are going to be there. They're always going to be there. No matter how many things you get done, there's always a list of more to do. Amen? In my 47 years, I've not had a slow period yet. There's always something that that can distract you. But faith will require that you find that way to fellowship with him. Amen? So in conclusion, these are only a few things that faith requires. There's going to be other things that come. And I know as we grow on this foundation, and I've seen these things start happening, the layers get deeper. And you learn, you see things. Some of these things that maybe I'm hearing Brother Keith talk about right now, but I'm not totally understanding or comprehending. As I get that foundation built up, what happens? You become strong and there's room for another thing. And you can add this and this comes in and you see how the puzzle comes together in your life. Faith is a very personal thing. There's principles and there are things in your life that will be personal about your faith between you and God and that's good and that's okay. And you'll find your words and you'll stand on your words and you will see these things come to pass. I know this wasn't deep. I know it wasn't a a lot of, of heavy stuff, but I hope that you could glean something from it tonight that will encourage you. If if I encouraged you, if you found one little thing in there, then thank God that you were here tonight. And I want to leave you with one scripture because to me, this speaks to the faith foundation. Second Peter uh, one, five through nine. And I'm going to read this from the message in this case. It says, so don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing with the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. It's a good thing to live and walk by faith. Amen? Amen. Well, stand up. Brother Rob, do you mind closing for us tonight?